Hi lovely listeners, my name is Lisa Marie Imray and I am the host of Coffee and Crime, a true crime podcast, where each week I sit down with a cup of coffee and talk about any kind of true crime story. So if you are interested in true crime, which I bet you are since you're here listening to this amazing podcast, or you like drinking coffee, then feel free to give Coffee and Crime a listen to. It is available on all major podcast platforms. You can also find Coffee and Crime on Facebook or Instagram, where the DMs are always ready for you to slide in with your thoughts and feelings, recommendations, or anything true crime related. So until then, be safe, be good, be better, and all that cheesy crap. And I will catch you guys over at Coffee and Crime. The Social Detective is an independent true crime podcast. We cover cases to raise awareness and educate our listeners. In doing so, we share our sources. However, we also share our own opinions. When we do that, we state our opinions, our podcasts. This podcast also covers cases that may depict sexual violence, racial violence, graphic language, and sexual overtones. We do this because it's important to the case. We do not do this gratuitously. Due to this, this podcast is not suitable for listeners under the age of 18. Also, certain themes may be triggering to certain people. So please take heed and listen wisely. If you or someone you know is suffering mental health crisis, there is help out there. You can text or call 988. This line is available 24 seven and in multiple languages. Please know you are not alone. Hey guys, this is Marianne, dog mom, baker, true crime podcast maker. And today is actually dog training day. But this matter, I think, is really blowing up like crazy. And I am a staunch advocate for the victims and I just I am not someone to stay quiet when I see something that I think is wrong that is not something I can do especially when one of my dear friends was a victim of violence I want to talk a little bit today about the case of Cynthia Don Kenny. It's making huge headlines. And that's great. Thank you to Sheriff Verdon. That's great from Sheriff Verdon in Oklahoma. But I don't like the way that it's going about. And I think there needs to be a lot more information because first of all, Cynthia's picture should be all over these headlines because Cynthia is the one that's missing, not Dennis Rader. Dennis Rader, not BTK. The name BTK victimized the citizens of Wichita, Kansas 
and the surrounding towns, cities, and everything else for years. It made it so us as children couldn't go out and play. I feel like it created a situation that my friend's murder didn't get the investigation it should have received. It impacted our lives here in the Wichita area so much that I am disgusted every time I see his picture come across every one of these headlines. And I am sure those family members who their loved ones were taken away, can you imagine how they feel? Each and every one of you journalists who are splashing that moniker and his picture, do you not have for a moment a feeling of self-loathing or self-hatred for what you are doing to those families? Just for a moment, think about what you're doing. There is a way to make headlines without hurting people in your own communities, in your own backyard. It just blows my mind. Where are the ethics? So I want to take this moment and talk about the young woman who is missing. Now, if you hear some erratic breathing in the background, it's not me. It's Blueberry. Blueberry is accompanying me on this podcast. So let's talk about Cynthia Dawn Kenny, who was last seen on Wednesday, June 23rd, 1976 at 9.30 a.m. Now, we don't have anything really remarkable to report about that day. There was no gossip going around town or malicious stories beforehand about Cynthia. She was an all-American girl. Now, if you actually look into her case on reputable sites like Web Sleuths or Uncovered.com, you will see that people have been investigating this case for a long time before the headlines got all crazy. Cindy, as she was known, was a 16-year-old girl. She was 5 foot 1, 97 pounds. She had chin-length straight brown hair. She had brown eyes. She was a junior in high school during the summer of 1976. That day, she was wearing a peach-colored blouse and blue jeans. Now, she worked at the Osage Laundromat in Oklahoma that was owned by her aunt and uncle. Now, witnesses last remember seeing Cindy at around 9.30 right there at the laundromat. And during that day, the last things people remember seeing was her purse her drink, and a half-eaten donut, as well as her pom-poms, because she was in pom-poms. Now, again, it was just a normal, hot summer day, and she had been munching on her donut because there was a few bites that was left in it, and there were some people that day 
in the laundromat. So there's some good witness statements. And let me tell you, what would make you want to leave a perfectly good donut? Now, witness statements, there are a few conflicting ones. Some witness statements will say one thing, some will say another. But one of the things they all agree on is that Cynthia had gotten into a 1965 or 66 beige caramel colored, and it was faded kind of a color, four-door Plymouth Belvedere. There were two people in the front seat. And again, it was parked in front of the Osage laundromat on Main Street. Here's where it differs. Some people say it was two women in the front seat of the car, and other people say it was a man and a woman. Now, one of the eyewitness accounts, they state that the car was parked in front of the laundromat at 9 a.m., and two people exited the vehicle, and they had several laundry baskets, and they took them inside. And then about 30 minutes later, one of the people carried out a basket, placed the basket in the back seat of the car, entered the driver's side, and then Cynthia and another person came out of the laundromat and entered the car from the passenger side. So that's what one of the witness statements say. Now, there was also a bank that was under construction across the street from the laundromat. One of the workers provided a description and they said it was a man and two women who he believed left with Cynthia. Now, police did their due diligence and they also did background checks of all of the witnesses and all of the workers from across the street that were working on the bank to make sure there was no sexual deviance any sexual offenders. There was nothing like that. So nothing popped up that really got off of law enforcement's radar right at the beginning. And there weren't really any credible leads in the early days of her disappearance. But small towns in the Midwest doing what small towns do best all sorts of a conspiracy theories started to leak in and then all the gossip started going and everybody started seeing Cynthia and or Cindy in all sorts of different places. Some people suggested, oh, I saw her. Of course, cults were really big back then. Remember, everybody had all these religious cults. So it started going around that she was part of a religious cult and she was traveling around. And then in 1991, authorities began investigating the 1960s disappearance of Maxine Beatrice Green. Now, she was believed to have been murdered by her husband, Hobart Jess Punch Green. What a nickname for a guy who might have murdered his wife, right? Punch. Now, as searchers were beginning to conduct a property search owned by Mr. Green, a woman comes over and reports that she'd seen Hobart Green with a description of somebody who looked like Cindy minutes before she had disappeared. So this kind of puts him 
in the area with Cindy. Now, I don't know how far police went to actually substantiate any of these reports or that information. And at the time of the search, Hobart, he was already serving a life sentence for killing his 20-month-old son in 1985. Police expressed a desire to go to the prison to question him about Cynthia, but it's unclear whether that ever actually occurred. It's also not very clear whether Green or his wife or anybody fit the description of the man or woman seen at the laundromat. And, you know, there wasn't really anything in Cynthia's background that really would have given her any reason to run away and go join a cult or to run away at all. I mean, she had a stable home life. She had plans to become a cheerleader in the upcoming school year. She had lived in liberal Kansas before moving to Oklahoma. Her family had even hired private investigators and consulted psychics to try to find out what happened to her. But they never could figure it out. Now, one thing that really kind of bothers me is that they didn't seem to pursue the green theory very far. Because to me, it sounds pretty plausible. I mean, this guy, Green's, his wife, who went missing, the reason they thought that he killed her is because the woman's daughter said that she saw him kill her. I mean, she described so much saying that she saw this happen. I mean... It all seems really plausible, and it just seems like nobody really took it to heart, and nobody really investigated it really well. Yes, yeah, sorry, you're going to hear dogs barking again. This was supposed to be my day of dog training, but I thought sharing Cynthia's story was really important since it didn't seem not a lot of people were. Everybody's a little too focused on Dennis Rader, and I wanted somebody to focus on Cynthia. So I apologize for that. But, and that's what I wanted to bring up is, again, let's talk about the fact everyone wants to focus on serial killers. And that's exactly what happened here. We've got this sheriff who wants to focus on Dennis Rader. And not only that, a local columnist is also focusing on serial killers. Now, let me share with you about the sheriff and some investigative journalism. And it's like in a column or a paper called EE Commerce, or let me try to figure out what the hell this is. Um, the columnist, his name is Del Lewis, and he writes this article back in 2021. Who knows? Maybe that's the inspiration um, the sheriff has when he decides to look into Dennis Rader on this case. Because the sheriff was elected on June 30th of 2020. But the, the newspaper actually looks like some chat GPT type of paper. It's called Examiner Enterprise. And 
basically how it's written up and I'm going to share a little bit of it, just kind of a snapshot of it with you because I, I don't understand how this sheriff is going off. I, I don't get why he thinks the path of Cynthia would go along the path of Dennis Rader when it seems like the path of going with Hobart makes way more sense. But in this investigative, I'm using quote marks, investigative journalism, he writes um, that he thinks, what about one of the deranged serial killers who were terrorizing the country back in the day when Cindy disappeared? You might ask, and with the recent death of Samuel Little, who confessed to 93 murders, this investigative journalist has been looking into that idea himself. During his killing spree, Little was known to have traveled across the country, so he may have come to Oklahoma. However, his victims were all young black women, many of whom were drug addicts without a lot of family. And with a big family and many friends, Cindy did not fit this description. Little, who is considered by the FBI to be the most prolific serial killer in U.S. history, died in a California prison this past December. So this journalist then decides to talk about Gary Ridgway. And he then talks about how his victims, however, were prostitutes and teenage runaways. And there's no indication he was ever in Oklahoma. And then the journalist then decides to go into John Wayne Gacy. And by the time he was captured, it was 1978. And again, there's no evidence he was ever in Pahuska. So I guess he didn't do it. So then this journalist picks up Ted Bundy. And he goes into the fact that Ted Bundy, who is known to have killed at least 36 women in seven states across the country, started his killing spree in 1974. A smart man with a degree in psychology from the University of Washington, who was studying to be a lawyer. Boy, this chap GPT is working overtime. Bundy would lure women by pretending to be injured then he would knock them unconscious with a crowbar and throw them into his car. After his initial capture in 1975, he escaped from his jail twice, and the second time he managed to get to Florida, where he murdered two Chi Omega sorority girls on the campus of Florida State University, along with a 12-year-old girl from the area. Before he was caught, Bundy eventually executed in 1989. All of these men were thoroughly investigated by law enforcement in Pahuska, but to no avail. So Pahuska has investigated all of these serial killers, right? So basically what this journalist is saying is that their sheriff went through all of these serial killers to see if they could be related to this case. Did their sheriff go back and look at Hobart? Just wondering. So then this journalist says, so once again, if you have any knowledge pertaining to the disappearance of Cindy Kinney, please contact the Osage County Sheriff's Department. It, it just, that that's what I wanted to show you that 
it, it, it just really kind of chapped my ass on how this journalist, where it seemed like there was so much more of a case that could be related where there was a witness who swears she saw somebody who looked like her with this man, Hobart Green, who was with Cynthia minutes before she disappeared. Now, again, the alleged sighting wasn't reported until 1991, and Hobart is now in prison, and I do want to know if they have followed back up on that. That, to me, sounds like a very logical type of situation. And, you know, we, we definitely want to make sure that the victim or this missing person, we want to make sure this stays focused on Cynthia Kenny, not going back and everybody refocusing on those crimes of Dennis Rader and the carnage he inflicted upon Kansas. So, on June 23rd, 1976, from Pahaska, Osage County, Oklahoma, 16-year-old Cynthia Kenny. She was born on January 16th, 1960. At the time she went missing, she was 5 foot 1. She weighed about 97 pounds. She had chin-length brown hair. She had brown eyes. She was wearing a peach blouse and blue jeans. There's no mention of any type of jewelry she had on. She had pierced ears. Her fingerprints are available. Her dental status is available. Her DNA is available. Cynthia, again, was last seen on Wednesday, June 23rd, 1976 at 9.30 a.m. She was seen getting into a four-door Plymouth Belvedere that was about beige or caramel-colored faded in front of the Osage Laundromat on Main Street. If you have any information regarding her case, please contact the Osage County Sheriff's Office at 1-888-287-3150.